534 million people have been affected by the March Facebook data breach, and we've heard the concerns from our community. This April 20th, Citadel and Meeks Realty are partnering together to talk with Central Florida residents about taking control of the cybersecurity in their personal lives. We're going to teach you how to check to see if your personal information was released, what cybercriminals intend to do with that information, and most importantly, what you can do about it. This event is open to the public and free of charge thanks to Meeks Realty and Lakeland Live. Space is limited, so RSVP by going to citadel.com and click on events for more info. I thought that was pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay, Nate. It's pretty good. I'm giving you a compliment. I'm I'm saying the same thing you're saying. Do I need to say it back? What do I what am I doing wrong? I don't know. Hey everybody, welcome to the Citadel Podcast. <laughs> My name is Nate Fleming. I'm the host, and we've got uh I don't know why I always say we've got uh like you're a guest every time. Well yeah, I I feel like a, I feel welcomed here. Yeah, but you're the co host. Yeah, I'm the co host guest. You're more than the guest. I got my feet up. You're bringing me your lemonades. Feet aren't, your feet aren't up, and there's no lemonades in this box we're in. I'm Joshua Sitta. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Citadel. And we're recording from a refrigerator box? You could fit four refrigerators in here. Yeah, it's a bigger refrigerator box than they would yeah. normally send. You wouldn't be able to use them all. Them all? If you had four refrigerators in here? You know, that's where they got the name for a mall from. I don't know if that's... Them all. I hear that, yes. Where are all the stores? Them all. We have all the stores, them all. I don't know if this is true or not. It's the mall. That's where they got the name for the mall from. If you weren't such a liar, I would believe <laughs> I'm you. Not even lying. Okay, let me. I'm gonna Google. I'm gonna Google it. My computer makes a lot of cracky noises lately. That's uh, quality. Chromecast is known for its quality. Chrome, it's not a Chromecast. Chromebook. It's, well, it's, it's not a Chromebook. It's not far. What is it? It's a Pixelbook. Is there really a difference between Chromebook and Pixelbook? Yes, Pixelbook is made by Google. Chromebooks are not. They don't have to be they're made, made by, by Google. Huawei? Uh, no, they're made by Google. This is Google's. No, I mean Chromebooks. Are oh, made Chromebooks by... are made by anyone. It could be Toshiba. It can be like whatever. Like it could mm-hmm. be any any Dell could make a Chromebook. They're just using the Chrome operating system. Pixelbook is a dedicated machine towards it. All Pixelbooks are Chromebooks, but not all Chromebooks are Pixelbooks. Correct. Got it. Correct. Because this is the Pixelbook Go. They have a Pixelbook, which has a touchscreen and stylus. Pixelbook Go is the worst augmented reality video game. <laughs> it's fun, though. Um, I put it really close to my eyes, and it feels like <laughs> I'm in VR. The word mall comes from a 16th century Italian alley game that resembled croquette. It was called Palamagliato. Did you say croquette? Yeah, croquette. <laughs> or Paul Mall in English. The alley on which the game was played came to be known as a mall. You know that's croquet, right? No, it's croquette. What are we talking about today? Because we're not we're not here to we're not here to talk about malls. We're not. No, <laughs> no, we're not. What are we? What are, what are, what are we here for, Joshua? Um, Nate, for the first time in history, we have a non-Joshua Sitta question in the Citadel Twitter. Oh my god, I need to log into that Twitter and become more active as a Twitterer. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is r- written in by at wa hammond and it says at citadel podcast can you please do an episode about cryptocurrency full liberty just make it interesting so we're talking about crypto cryptocurrency let me google it so i can seem like i know what i'm talking about as we talk about it so joshua which which we have full liberty what are we going to talk we're going to talk about how cryptocurrency influenced the downfall of malls across america yeah (laughs) how they put the malls out of business they put all malls out of business they were doing so good and then crypto came out oh i thought 
crypto was doing so good and then malls were in the way. You thought malls were threatening malls were, crypto? Yeah, they were, and crypto was like, you're done. Big crypto got together. Big bank take little bank. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a song. Big bank take little bank? Yeah, uh, let me see if I can find the lyrics. Uh, big bank take little bank. It is a YG song called Big Bank featuring 2 Chains, Big Sean, and Nicki Minaj. Those lyrics I can't say, but here's the the, <laughs> the choruses. Big bank take little bank bank. Big bank take little bank bank. Type of money you gonna need a safe. Type of money you gonna need a bank. From the hood, that type of money make you stay awake. Type of money she gonna let you put it in her face. Big bank take little bank bank. Big bank take little bank bank. <laughs> okay. That's the chorus. That's the new outro to the <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> We're not a banking podcast. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. not normal banking. It's like how to stash your money safely underneath your mattress. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cryptocurrencies. So all the images I see are of a B coin. Yeah, okay. Bitcoin is is one of the cryptocurrencies that are out there. To to really get into Bitcoin, we gotta talk about how blockchain works. What what does blockchain even mean? You'll see blockchain on all kinds of stuff now. Mm-hmm. We see it on marketing things all the time. Um, we get we get hit with vendors all the time that are like, "Hey, do you want to know how blockchain can revolutionize your service deliveries to your customers?" And I think really what they're saying is, "We are aware that blockchain is a lot of buzzwords right now, mm-hmm. and we're hoping that you could help us figure out how we could revolutionize the way you deliver services to your customers." <laughs> anyway, um, do you remember? Napster? Yeah. Talk to me about Napster. I never used it. Right. We made that clear. Yes. We did not use any period. Neither of us have ever used Napster. Right. But if one were to use it, uh-huh. wasn't it basically like you're sourcing music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's music on people's hard drives. Mm-hmm. Let's just share it to each other. Yeah. No different than... I buy a CD, I listen to it, I hand it to you, you listen to it, that kind of thing. Yeah, same thing, but di- digitally. But digitally, yeah. And Napster wasn't the only one. There was also LimeWire, which from we what didn't I've heard, use, right? Uh huh. FrostWire replaced it. Mm-hmm. I, I read that just mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Kazaa. Yeah, Kazaa. Kazaa Light. Yep. These are all, these are just speculation that people I know of might have used. Right. I did not in any way, shape, or form use any of these yeah. products. Didn't use BearShare. Nope, didn't use them. Not on not on my gateway computer, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely not. Mm-mm. Never um, You know, sometimes I talk about my first brush with cybersecurity being um, this this game that I used to play. And like I, I hacked a character file to be better at this game. I think my first real brush with cybersecurity, let me say it this way, I read a story about someone's first brush with cybersecurity, and it was using the free version of LimeWire to huh. download the professional version of LimeWire hmm. so that they didn't have to have any ads. Do you know the name of the person in the story? Jim. What was his last name? Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> classic Jim Tommy move. Okay, so but what what I mean though is like what we need to think about is how there was all this data that mm-hmm. was being passed around on the internet. Yeah. Still is. Still is. Um and it's it's not coming from a central authority. There's not you you're not downloading from a server. Mm-mm. You're downloading from someone. Right, you're downloading from other people who are participating in this file sharing network. We call this uh we call this Peer-to-peer or file sharing. P2P. 
P2P, we're peers. You and yeah. I are both participating. Correct. As opposed to a hierarchy or a client-server relationship where there's one central authority for all the files or, or whatever, all the activity. Yeah. In, in essence, this is blockchain technology working. That's not totally true. Just I'm trying to frame your mind. Uh, blockchain technology is distributed across a big network of participants and there's not a, a single person who's saying, here's how you guys are supposed to play nicely. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. So blockchain can be used for a lot of things. Uh, there's there's some interesting advancements in using blockchain technology to host websites, for example. There are blockchain uh, cryptocurrencies that are incentivizing people to participate in the hosting of websites through blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of that off the top of my head is Substratum. I think their site is substratum.net. They've got a really interesting model where it's like, it's almost like you lease clock cycles on your computer, processing power on your computer to help other people find the internet and they pay you, you help generate coins also. So you get to, by participating, you also get some some wealth out of it. That's cool. It's pretty neat. We're going to focus up our conversation on um uh, on on stores of value, right? So cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Long time ago when you had banks, we still have them. Okay, yeah. Um <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I guess today banking has changed <laughs> banking has changed through through times. So let's take it back to like I'm going to say just after the Stone Age, right? Whenever whenever like banking became a thing uh-huh. and you actually had people who would memorize the amount of money that you uh, let them hold. They'd write it down. They, I Was there ever a time where people would memorize at banks? That's like a, th- it's a thought I've never had, if that makes sense. I really think there was. Um, I think that you had, I, I, don't, I don't know, I, maybe I should look at this again. My assumption would be that they would write it down. That's just my assumption from... See, I think that banking came about before written language. Interesting. I don't know if I'm right. I, I don't know if you're right either. I'm going to chase it down, not to like prove you wrong. I really find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. my theory is, you know, we've got verbal language, we've got verbal communication, and we know how to keep track of how many, you know, stones you have and how yeah. many spices I have or whatever. What? You'd, you'd trade stones? I don't know. What are people trading? You said a valuable thing and a not valuable thing. It's I'm a good trade stone. stones flint. for spices. It's a flint stone. What is spice other than a stone? Spice is not stone. You're not isn't, eating... isn't salt a stone? That's a mineral. Isn't a stone a mineral? Uh, mineral's different than spice. Okay. Let's trade. <laughs> a lot of stones for one spice. You mean a mineral salt for spice. Look, Nate. I think that we're getting away from okay. my point. I apologize. Banks used to memorize what you had or write it down, or they moved to writing it down. Yeah, before we had the institution of a bank, I yeah. think we had people who just had to figure out how to keep track of how valuable things were. Yeah. And we didn't have, I'm assuming, we didn't have like a, even a currency. I don't know. It was bartering first. Before it was banking, right, right, it was bartering. Right. And people just assumed value, like a sheep wouldn't be worth a stone or something like that. Yeah. The problem with that is if you assume that sheep is very valuable mm-hmm. and I assume that sheep is not very valuable, we are on the road to a disagreement. Yeah, because right? you think stones are very valuable. Look, man, <laughs> I'm trying to revolutionize the stone market. 
Um, the first prototype of banks were the merchants of the world who gave grain loans to farmers and traders who carried goods between cities. I'm pretty sure they measured weight. So they still, they, it wasn't a memorization thing for sure. They probably measured weight of like, here's how much weight of grain we've given you. Okay. Yeah. So I think there's always been a way to measure and record it because I'm not going to trust you to say uh, four stones is worth a sheep. And then the next day you're like, oh, you didn't price has gone up. You didn't, you didn't give me four stones. You only gave me two stones. You oh, still yeah, owe yeah. me two stones. Uh-huh. So that helps avoid that. Sure. Yeah. Or yeah, like I gave you two sheep. Anyway, that's. That's beside where we're going. Right, right, right. <laughs> where we're going is that book that the merchants use to write everything down. Mm-hmm. We call that a ledger. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if there's a disagreement between between people about what's been exchanged or how valuable things were, you have to go back to the ledger. That's the source of authority. Bartering, just a barter system, that's a lot more like a peer-to-peer system, um, but it's super problematic. Yeah. Your your merchant writing things down in his ledger, This is this is where banking really kind of comes from. How can I settle a dispute between my grain and the merchant if I got to go to a a third party? I got to go to a king mm-hmm. and talk to him about like what what is wrong to me? Yeah. What proof do I have? Yeah. It's it's my word against his ledgers. Yeah. Well, his is written down. That certainly looks better. So it's it's a pretty one sided burden of proof, right? Yeah. The control is big bank. And I think we kind of dealt with that problem for uh, up until blockchain kind of came about. Check cutting scams lead to like social engineering attacks and really phishing emails, that kind of stuff. It was like the early practical handwritten scams that would that we would see that that phishing has kind of evolved into. Wasn't check kiting mainly used in Catch Me If You Can? That's the only instance in history in which check cutting was used. Yeah, uh, that's the only one I can think of. If if if, if Bank A in City A uh-huh. has, um, if they've got their book, and Bank B in City B has their book, if I can get from Bank A to City B before City B finds out that I deposited money or didn't deposit money in Bank A, if I can move faster than the bank's information can move then I can just keep, I can artificially manufacture the amount of wealth I have. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. If you can ever get to a point where just you're moving faster than the information that's exchanged between banks, there's an opportunity for fraud. Yeah. When the banks finally understand that they've been giving money, have been giving money to one person who's been spending it, who's been, he's been using the money that he didn't have. He's been using all these banks' money. Yeah. The banks get together and they say, well, who's accountable for this? Bank Bank A says, well, we only gave him 500 bucks, but he's done this 100 times, so now he's worth $500,000, yeah. right? This concept called uh, the last man holding the bag kind of comes true. So the last bank who gave out the 500000 they're responsible for the full 500000 this meant that banks were incentivized to not communicate after they realized somebody is kiting a check. I want another bank to fall victim to the same check kiter yeah. so that they're holding the bag and I don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Right? Works out great in the kite's favor. There's all these. Yeah, it sure does until the federales come. Um, 
there's all these examples. Check hiding is still hanging in there today. Really? Yes. You can do it today? Yeah. Step one. <laughs> no. Yeah, but we, we sometimes still see that happen at a bank. There's all these conflicts that come between multiple records of who has money and, and, and what transactions have been made. Mm-hmm. Um, blockchain seeks to eliminate all that. It brings everybody onto the same page. The most important thing that you need to understand about cryptocurrency as it pertains to blockchain is that there is one ledger that every single participant in the cryptocurrency participates in. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So every single transaction that ever happens through Bitcoin, every other participant in the Bitcoin network is, is aware of it. It's a distributed ledger. Which means that there is never a dispute over where where ownership of a store of value is. There's never a dispute over whether or not I gave you 10 Bitcoin. Yeah. Right? Because um, the whole network knows all at the same time. Blockchain is not a thing, of course, that you can hold in your hand. It's a thing that is logical, right? It takes processing power. It takes computer clock cycles. Maybe five, maybe even fewer years ago, you had giant warehouses of graphics cards that would just line from floor to ceiling. Um, There's a really big one that was over in Russia um, where they would just constantly go and keep processing the transactions over and over and over and over again. And as these graphics cards would participate in distributing this ledger, making sure that all the transactions are are up to date and current and all that stuff, the the Bitcoin network would also give them some coins for yeah. participating in making sure that the ledger stayed true. That's called mining, right? Yeah. We're mining coins. That means we're we're constantly updating that ledger. That's all that is. Got you. Um, good so far. Any questions about that? No. I mean, that, that explains mining in my head. I never understood mining cryptocurrency. Yeah. And miners as in like not young children. Not young children. <laughs> not guys in a hole. Yeah. Um. Oh well, actually, I guess it would be guys in a hole, right? It's that kind of miner, like a pickaxe. Yeah, it's a pickaxe. Yeah, it yeah. would be guys in a hole. Is what I kept thinking of it. So that, in essence, is how like the Bitcoin network works. Um, but it doesn't really talk about how it has become so valuable. A lot of people are turning their attention to Bitcoin here recently um, because there's been all these spikes. Uh, five years ago, I think. Bitcoin was worth under a hundred bucks, and now it's over sixty, right? Bitcoin? Yeah, sixty thousand. Yeah, Bitcoin is a lot now. I'm sorry, Dogecoin popped up on mm-hmm. the thing, and I'm looking at what it's doing right now, and it's <clears throat> insane. It's sixty-one thousand dollars as Bitcoin. Yeah. So Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, Libra. Um, there's so many different kinds of cryptos of yeah. that are out there. If you can't touch it, if you can't hold it. How do you assign it value? This is often like, especially when Bitcoin was very early on or cryptocurrencies in general were very early on, people would criticize it by saying, it can never be worth anything. You can't hold it. There's no silver standard. There's no, there's no, there's nothing practical that you can say, look, I have this. Yeah. At face value, that seems to make sense. But if you understand how a fiat money system, which is what the American dollar has been for the last hundred years, um, if you understand how uh, a fiat money system works, well, really, Bitcoin is exactly the same as a, as a, as a dollar. 
as a quarter, as a, as a whatever, as, as a store of value. Mm-hmm. Because in a fiat money system, which we use in America, a dollar is only worth a dollar because we all say it's worth a dollar. The entire nation kind of agrees. Moreover, the entire world agrees that a dollar is worth whatever a dollar is worth. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that there's a lot of folks who still have this understanding or this misunderstanding that there is enough gold and, and silver in Fort Knox to exchange every single dollar no. in case something no. comes up, right? There's no way. I've tried stealing it several times. Yeah. It, it's not go? as much there. Yeah. You know, it just did the value, the cost didn't outweigh the value. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I feel like Fort Knox got way overrepresented in cartoons. Yeah. It's real easy to walk in there. All you need is two Budweiser's <laughs> and a little bit of free time. <laughs> I would love to hear that that plan. It's real easy. His name's Mike. He goes to a bar just outside of Fort Knox. The bar's <laughs> called the Low and Dirty. Yeah. All you gotta do is buy him two Budweiser's and say, hey, man, I can beat you in Call of Duty Warzone. Okay. What that requires is him to have two different systems. This is where the plan comes in. So he's like, you can't beat me in Warzone. I'm like, I can. He's like, all right, fine. Come back. We'll, we'll find out. He has clearance because he's a sergeant. He's pretty right. high up. He walks me in because he wants to beat me in Warzone because he's a real military dude. He doesn't want to let this type of thing go. Uh-huh. He can't let it go. Yeah. He's got to win in Warzone. Right. He gets in. He's two Budweiser's in. Now, Mike is specifically <laughs> okay, yeah. a lightweight, right? <laughs> he's, so, like, the two Budweiser's, it gets him gone. He's yeah. not thinking straight. He realizes, I can't play two-player Warzone split screen, so I'm going to have to get him another console. The closest console, Terry. Terry's the closest console. So now I gotta I get to go across the hall. And the time it takes me to walk across the hall to Terry's, I can say, oops, I got lost. I'm looking for the bathroom, even though they all have bathrooms in their rooms. What I do is find the goal by walking around aimlessly until I get underground. Because underneath Fort Knox, they got the aliens and the gold. I heard it in a TikTok. Boom. I'm in Fort Knox. I got the gold in my hand, the alien around my arm, and I walk right on out with two Budweiser's and some free time. Okay, so. From the bar. <laughs> I can't wait to cut all that out. So if if there's a skepticism for how uh, Bitcoin becomes could ever become valuable if it's so different than the American dollar, mm-hmm. um, how 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 did it ever get to be that um, that valuable? H- have we ever talked about how the value of cryptocurrency jumped to the American dollar? Uh, I think it's in reference to, um, I could be wrong. Is it the Kim.com story? Kim.com. It is the Kim.com story. I've told this before to you. I don't, I, I don't think I've told it on the podcast. No, you've never told it on the podcast. Nate, this story is larger than life. Kim, <laughs> Kim himself is larger than life. Um, let's continue our theme of file sharing that we certainly didn't use. Kim.com is the the proprietor of a website called MegaUpload.com. Uh, this was around in the... I used to use MegaUpload. Early aughts, maybe? For yeah. legitimate purposes, right? I mean, that's that would be the easiest way for me to take a video file and upload it to someone for them to edit it. Yeah. Um, people ended up using MegaUpload, RapidShare, Mediafire, a, a bunch of these sites for, for that exact same purpose. It was one of the first, like, manageable ways that you could take a very large file that was too big to email and put it on a server and let somebody else download it. It was also this sort of safe harbor for 
um, pirated movies and videos and yeah. and everything else. How does he operate this if it's illegal, right? We know that that's piracy. How can he make this happen? Um, well, he lives in a country that doesn't extradite. He lives in New Zealand, and he's kind of, uh, he's in a, like, protected legal space he's here. He's protected by Gandalf. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. He's in New Zealand, so he's protected by Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the recording industry, the RIAA, um, and the motion picture agency, the MPAA. MPA. MPA and RIA. <laughs> they get together and they, I don't know if they lobbied Congress or or what, but they they launched this whole multinational investigation, uh, a giant sting operation mm-hmm. um, against Kim.com personally for the mega upload file sharing site, <laughs> which again... <laughs> He had not broken any laws of his land. No, he and and the internet sphere still is like wild and crazy wild west. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like he's breaking online laws. And and like honestly, like I think we do that in a lot of cases, right? Yeah. Um there's probably all these examples of free speech or things that we depict in art or whatever American liberties we have by being a free people that are super illegal somewhere else. Yeah. So imagine you put together some art piece or something, you post it online, and the country of, I'm going to say Saudi Arabia out of ignorance. Riyadh. Is Riyadh a country? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. The country of Riyadh. I don't like the smirk. What's going on here? (laughs) I don't know why I thought of that name. I want to figure out where I got it from. The country of Riyadh, they, they don't agree with the fact that we have the freedom to do it here. Right there so then we get in trouble for what we did there yeah imagine them launching a sting operation where there's armed militants who kick down our doors and take the the pencils that we use to make the art and they take the computers and you said saudi arabia right i said saudi arabia i said Riyadh. that's the capital of saudi arabia (laughs) look we might be geniuses (laughs) (laughs) so this is the situation that's facing kim is he's he's doing things that they want to get him for, but they can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I got to talk to talk to you about Kim's personal life a little bit. Oh well, he doesn't seem like that. He looks he's like the Guy Fieri of the online world. <laughs> okay, I feel like that's a disservice to Guy. True. <laughs> Sorry, Guy. If you want, you can sponsor this podcast. We'll never say it again. <laughs> oh, like extortion yeah. sponsors. We're extorting Guy Fieri. <laughs> I feel like that's all we've been doing is extorting sponsors. But Kim.com's personal life, what's happening? Table this information for a second. Yeah. He's a he's a big uh, proponent of um, Bitcoin. He he sees this as like the currency future. Mm-hmm. So he's got, you know, thousands of Bitcoin at this time, which is maybe worth a dollar or two. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin was less than five cents up a coin yeah. when, when he got started. Um, but... All of the other stuff about Kim's life is so much more interesting. If you go to his website today, which I believe is www.kim.com, and and I should say, maybe it starts there. He legally changed his name to Kim.com. Yeah, his last name is D-O-T-C-O-M. <laughs> if you go to Kim.com, uh, the website, it will still tell you that he is the world's number one ranked player in Modern Warfare 3. This billionaire. That's that's what he wants everyone to know about him above the fold. First You're and right. foremost. Number one in Modern Warfare 3. 
He's leaderboards number one for kills and leaderboards number one for free for all. Can you imagine that? This man's website is immaculate, right? Um, the first thing it says is "Good Life." Download the video. I'm gonna. It's he uses YouTube, but he has his own embedded player. Uh, it's like a short documentary of the sting operation. I encourage everybody to check this out. It shows the helicopters descending. It shows the attack dogs. It shows uh, the, the, the automatic raid. weapons. It's they the have raid. the raid. He has the raid. January 2012, the controversial shop online piracy act is before the U S Congress. Wow. So it's all there. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so longer story shorter. Yeah. I um, want to jump too far ahead. Sorry. It's just, it's right there. Right. It's, you could lose an hour on that website. This man. Um, I, I think it's the CIA, or maybe it's the FBI, um, collaborates with local law enforcement in New Zealand, and they tag team. They work together to break down his doors, and just, they they are taking everything from him. Uh, confiscating, right? Yeah. They're seizing uh, artwork. They're seizing cars. I mean, so many cars. They're just taking... God, he has so many cars. They're they're taking all of his stuff. But they didn't count on the fact that Kim.com is a crazy person. Yeah. And he has a safe house that is in the middle of his house. It's it's a giant it's like a bank vault. It's a chamber <laughs> that they can't get into. It's a panic room and he's got he's got video feed to outside and he's got guns in there and rations and there's this long standoff. And finally, Kim opens he gives them access. He opens the door and he's sitting at his desk with just a gun laying on the desk, like a power move. I could shoot my way out of here, but instead you come get me. Because come. he's number one Modern Warfare 3 player. Oh, yeah. So what they didn't know is that he has over 150,000 kills already. <laughs> right. So these 17 people they're sending in, they're nothing. To him, that's just a little bit closer to a tactical nuke. That's uh-huh. Yeah, 25 <laughs> in a row, yeah. Um, yeah, if you watch the video, it seems like maybe it's a little heavy-handed until you rem- remember that he's the number one ranked Modern Warfare 3 player. That was actually just out of caution, right? They were trying to yes. protect themselves. They were, they had to be careful because he could have, he could have had, uh, any number of perks equipped. Now, all of this, all of this happens, it's absolutely true. Um, but we were asking this conversation, we were asking, um, in my, in my freshman year of the Florida School of Banking at University of Florida, we were talking about the rise of cryptocurrency, how that store of value suddenly became a factor. Yeah. And I haven't been able to look on the website to see any references to Bitcoin or anything like that. But um, our speaker told us that after this raid, the American government now owned all those luxury cars, and they now, uh, all the stuff that they seized, including his digital assets, they took the mega upload site. They took all of the servers that housed that. They took his Bitcoin wallet. They took everything that was his, um, including those accounts. But the government is not interested in driving around luxury cars. They're not interested in running the file sharing website. So all that stuff inevitably went to some kind of a police auction or or something. Yeah. And for the first time in history, the American government is transacting Bitcoin. 
They are selling all the seized assets. They are selling the Bitcoin. There's now so much legitimacy because the American government is selling Bitcoins. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you start to see that graph go up. Yeah. The value of Bitcoin just goes up and up and up. 2007, maybe 2009, somebody buys a pizza in Jacksonville. And this was like the first real world uh, good that was purchased with a digital currency. Interesting. That's another like peg yeah. in the legitimizing of, of Bitcoin that, wow. that happens. One of the interesting things about Bitcoin that I think we have to answer is even if the American government has legitimized it, and even if people are now suddenly able to spend a bunch of Bitcoin to buy a pizza, how does it hit that huge meteoric rise? Yeah. Because the world is using America as the, the standard for what their, their own wealth is supposed to be worth, what their own currency is supposed to be worth. Yeah. So what, what kind of activities and what kind of people are going to gravitate to a fully anonymized distributed ledger well i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of crime right there's a lot of um there's illegal a lot of, activity there's a lot of bad dudes out there doing bad things that people don't want to know about yeah um and they don't want to be found out about and they don't want to have traced back to them like limewire or napster take all the anonymity of the internet that you get just for using your browser, right? Yeah. I think that you know that like there are some ways that people can still track down who posted that picture to that website. Yeah. Right? IP addresses and you can subpoena the ISP and there's there's a legal process for determining identity. The Bitcoin network doesn't really have that problem. Every identity on the Bitcoin network is just a series of letters and numbers. There's no way to tie that back to a human w with reason, right? If, if because the entire Bitcoin network knows about every transaction, they also know about the value of every Bitcoin mm -hmm. wallet. So if your Bitcoin wallet is worth $30,000 and you move all of that money into a Chase bank account, mm -hmm. well, $30,000 left here and went into here. There's a correlation that can be made, right? Yeah. But it's a correlation at best. So you got bad guys that want to stay anonymous for the, the stuff that they're doing who gravitate to um, to cryptocurrencies. The rise of ransomware, all of a sudden this becomes a way that people can get paid without it ever being traced back to them. They don't have to use money mules. They don't have to bear the legal risk of a of a country getting mad at them and trying to shut down their their network of thieves. Yeah. They just send everybody to this Bitcoin wallet. And the people who fall for ransomware, even back when it was, you know, 50 bucks to get your data back, those people all become participants in the Bitcoin network. I got to pay to get my data back. Well, that means I got to buy $50 worth of bitcoins. Now I'm in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah. Right. So there's there's people who get brought into this out of ignorance because they fell victim to a crime, and there's people who are stealing and trying to stay hidden. Do you remember the Silk Road? Like historically, the new Silk, the digital Silk Road. Did we talk about this? We've never talked about this. Okay. Th maybe. So people will hear things like dark web and dark net and uh, you put dark before something and it sounds scary enough that people want to talk about it, right? 
Much like the distributed ledger of cryptocurrencies, there is a distributed web hosting community. Okay. If you want to access these anonymous websites, you have to use a a special browser that helps host all of the websites that are there. You become a participant just like we were talking about with cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So a couple of guys get together and they say, wait, we can host an anonymous website. Let's use this... Um, blockchain? Let's use blockchain to get our website hosted. Let's have it completely anonymous on who's behind it. And then we can have... We can just, we can just sell drugs right there from the website. Yeah. We can sell any number of things that you wouldn't it, it becomes the digital black market oh no longer do you have to know people or be in a network of other thieves and have to worry about a reputation and somebody you know looking over your shoulder because somebody's trying to come find you yeah you just log on to this website and you have everything there and there's just a couple of guys who are up to no good just a <laughs> yeah they started making trouble in the digital neighborhood <laughs> I feel like you're disappointed in me in this episode. Yeah, much like Bitcoin, I don't want to be a participant in this <laughs> exchange. I'm sorry, you said a couple of guys who started making some bad decisions. And I was like, yeah. literally all you're saying is... Oh. They create a marketplace for the black market. They create yeah. a black marketplace? The so I like black marketplace. Okay, they created a black marketplace. It's like bad advertising. <laughs> it sure is. Um, you could log on to it, you could buy your drugs, and you could deal in anonymous forms of payment. So yeah. cryptocurrency. Yeah. It's the the it's being able to obfuscate so that no one can find where you are. It's For like sure. a smoke screen. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're back into a fiat system. The miscreants of the world are saying, Ooh, this illicit drug, it's worth this many bitcoins. Mm-hmm where's my store of value? What else can I buy with the Bitcoins that I earned from selling drugs? Yeah. Right? These transactions add more and more history, legitimacy, value, value to Bitcoin. So you see that rate keep going up and up and up. And there are some legitimate reasons that people would want to buy something and stay anonymous. Yeah. Or like you want to buy clown shoes. You don't want your friend to know that you're slowly transitioning to become a clown. <laughs> right. Yeah. At some point, they're going to find out, right? Maybe. You just pass it off as, oh, I just had an interview at McDonald's for Ronald. <laughs> yeah. Why are you still in it? They have callbacks. <laughs> 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 the theater's not doing so well. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, not a lot's doing so well, uh, you know. But the good thing is blockchain can help me make sure no one knows it's not doing so well. Sure. Yeah. There's good reasons to have totally anonymous payment, yeah. but there's a whole lot of bad reasons. Um, there was a story about a, a there was a, an African government that was um, devoting resources away from putting it back into the lives of their citizens to just go and um, accrue more and more and more Bitcoin. And around that same time, all of this like Bitcoin activity that suddenly started kicking up, and the warehouses of um, of graphics cards that were just 24 hours a day mm -hmm. humming with electricity. Um, th there became these concerns about like, what are we really doing to the planet by trying to continue to foster and promote this anonymous form of cryptocurrency? Yeah. 
I mean, it's fascinating that that's where Bitcoin is and how it works. But like, what's the point? What are we getting at here? Yes. Like, I don't. It's I like the history of it because that's part of the reason we do this whole thing is the history of it. What 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 do we got here? So I think a lot of people are asking themselves right now: Do I need to jump on this train, or now that I'm on the train because I I want to, uh, I want to capitalize on this huge spike in value or whatever, and I I bought when Bitcoin was thirty thousand and. I'm excited now that it's worth double, right? Um, how can I, uh, how can I keep my uh, cryptocurrency, this anonymous payment? How do I keep all that stuff safe? Yeah. How do I not lose access to those accounts to the Bitcoin wallet? Um, what's the best place to buy? Right. I think there's a lot of questions that kind of wrap out out of that. And I I think that there's a lot of of attention that people need to put if they're going to buy cryptocurrency. I think they really need to think about how they are going to access their Bitcoin wallet or Ethereum wallet, uh, their cryptocurrency wallet. Yeah, how are you going to get to your crypto? Um, and there's there's really two kinds of options. Nate, do you remember like the 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 roller coaster that was GameStop stock? Yeah, you had all these people who were buying GameStop stock, and it drove the price of the stock up so high that some of the platform holders, people like Robinhood, some of the places that you could go to easily buy your stock. They stopped it. They Yeah, they yeah they put limits in place. Yeah, they put a stop to it. They made it so that you couldn't buy anymore. Yeah. Or that you could only buy so much in a given period. Or you could only sell. That creates, that creates some concerns. That's a dangerous precedent where the platform holder can now put um, guidelines around what you can do with your money. Yeah. And that's something that I think you need to consider. If if I want to use a, a big front end, a big reputable company like Robinhood, which you can buy cryptocurrency in now, or PayPal, which you can buy cryptocurrency in, in mm-hmm. now, you don't actually own that crypto until you move it out of that platform. Yeah. It is assigned to you, it is yours, you know, on paper. Um, but it's not it's not in your Bitcoin wallet. Yeah. Now that means that if everything's fine, everything stays fine. But the moment that a PayPal or a Robinhood decides we don't like what the value of Bitcoin is doing, well, we just put on uh, limitations on what you could do with your stocks. Yeah. Stocks. We didn't get our hand slapped. There was no penalty for doing that. Nothing. Let's just lock people into whatever they have right now. Let's halt um, Bitcoin transactions. Let's there's any number of things that you can do and this risk is what we call building on somebody else's land yeah um you might have the store of value but it's not any good to you if you can't access it there's a trade-off you can buy your bitcoins directly or your ethereum or Libram. you can buy your cryptocurrency directly through a cryptocurrency exchange center um you're stepping away from uh, the more feature-rich things like PayPal and Robinhood, mm-hmm. and you're moving to something like Coinbase. Yeah. Um, while then you have a direct connection to your value, right? You buy a, a Bitcoin through Coinbase. That's your Bitcoin. It goes right into your wallet. The problem then becomes the, the res- you you have greater responsibility. There's more you can do with it. Mm-hmm. But now. What happens if you forget your string of letters and numbers that is your Bitcoin wallet? How do you recover a forgotten password? 
Yeah. Those kinds of things, they become very tricky because the whole point of this is to be fully anonymized. Yeah. You've got your PayPal login. There's a there's a method, there's a well-defined method for getting access to your PayPal. Yeah. Right? You get locked out of your uh, cryptocurrency wallet that you buy direct through uh, a cryptocurrency exchange center like Coinbase. You're kind of out of luck. Thanks to the distributed ledger, we can see that there are wallets that haven't been touched in you know, over 10 years yeah. that have tremendous amounts of Bitcoin yep. that somebody has just forgotten the login to. And that is, I mean, at this point, it could be millions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency that is forever going to be locked up and, and just stuck in a vault that nobody can get into. Imagine if you bought a hundred bucks worth of crypto in 2009 Ooh. and you went to go say, oh, wait, every one of those cryptocurrencies every one of those bitcoins is worth a hundred dollars now well i bought them at five cents so now i'm worth what 500 million dollars yeah i want to i want to cash out yeah i want to leave i want out of it i want to change my life forever yeah what's my password again imagine being locked out of millions of dollars right i would hate that i feel right now locked out of millions of dollars <laughs> i mean it's just my normal every every day i wake up i'm like man i could have a millions of dollars but I was born to not millionaires. You should just start saying like, hey, that wallet, the big one, that's mine. Can I? <laughs> hey, can someone log me in again? <laughs> I need my login info. Bitcoin support. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the thing with Robinhood is it's it's not really an investment app. It's a gambling app. Like you put money in, you gamble on stocks. Like it's not, you don't use Robinhood to invest. You use it to gamble. That's That's what they proved when they were like, oh, you can't purchase this more because mm, you you don't have any control of the market no, the, yeah, you have no control of anything so it's really it really is you're just throwing money into something that might skyrocket at some point and then pulling it out and you're just playing with the market like right now i'm playing with dogecoin like i invested in dogecoin when it was like three cents or whatever and now it's 17 18 cents yeah or it was like 0 .08, 0 0.008 cents or something like that and i pulled out and i got 18 bucks off of it i took the 18 put it back in this yesterday and it doubled yeah. So like I'm just all I'm doing is gambling. I'm not I'm not making money. I'm not investing. I'm literally just playing with it. I think that is the best way to approach cryptocurrency. I, I should say this. I don't engage with cryptocurrency. I don't like the the moral implications. Probably some of the same moral implications that are attached to the American dollar. A lot of bad things have happened for real cash money. Right? Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, I feel a closer attachment to pay to give five bucks to beat somebody up. I know how it is. <laughs> yeah. Also, you owe me five bucks. Oh, dang it. When I look at Dogecoin versus a coin like Bitcoin, I look at one major difference between the two of them. There is no limit on the number of Dogecoins that enter the marketplace. It's just the amount of mining that happens, right? So right now, about 10,000 coins are added every day to the Dogecoin network which means that the way inflation works, if more than 10,000 coins are sought after, then the value of Dogecoin goes up, which means at least 10,000 coins have to be bought every single day in order for you to make a return on your investment. While there's hype in a hype cycle, that's great for you. Yeah. Right. Cause it's, it should be a huge, huge increase, but the moment people stop um, getting excited about it and the, and the number of transactions is less than the amount of Dogecoins that are being added in every day, well, then you're going to have a really steep drop. Yeah. So that's your paper hand coin. That's your 
short term. I want to see yeah. what I can get. But at this moment, I feel a little weird if I if I get that intuition that you know. Yeah, it might drop. I'm gonna cash out. There's a bunch of people who are diamond handing Dogecoin, Dogecoin, trying to get it to a dollar. Boy, I sure do hate that. Well, I mean, like if you got it, if you got a threshold in mind, we're yeah. gonna do, we're gonna ride this wave until it gets to a dollar. Yeah, they're yeah. diamond handing to a dollar. That's the reason why it's still in conversation is because there's a bunch of people who are still holding and they keep saying Dogecoin to the moon, Dogecoin to a dollar. Yeah, and we did it with, we did it with, oh, we just did it with GameStop stock. Yeah, the the sky's the limit on what we can do with Dogecoin. Of course, we can hit the dollar. The sky's not the limit. A dollar's the limit. No, the limit is when the the people you buy your coin through say you can't mm. buy the like. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's a gamble. Like yeah. every single service stopped trading. Ameritrade, Webull, uh, E Trade, Robinhood. They all limited it in a way because they knew if what the people were trying to accomplish happened. It would have completely upset the current balance of power structures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not because they were trying to save the economy or anything. It literally would have bankrupted giant investment hedge funds. Right. And then turned these nobodies into the new investment hedge funds literally overnight. And the people who created these platforms are people who work for investment hedge funds. They have them in their pocket because that's where the money is now. So it really is just gambling. But that's and that's the difference between doing it through a provider like PayPal or something like that and just trying to get your your coin straight from the source. Yeah, it's like it's like buying spring water bottles. It seems that they're available everywhere and you can get them anytime. But at any moment, that company can stop selling you spring water bottles and now you can't get spring water. In order to get spring water, you have to go to a spring. Yeah. It's much easier for you to have access to the spring itself to get your water that way than you to rely on someone else to bottle up the spring water so it's more, it's easier for you to use. Right. Yeah. And and now, like, if you go to the spring, spring yourself, you're responsible for all the transportation of that water back to your place. Exactly. You you pay the privilege of somebody else to to bear that responsibility yep. when you just buy the bottle of water. And that person has the control of whatever they want whenever they want of yep. how they want to do it. Yep. They could even put stuff in your spring water. Oh yeah. Like the the amount of control on the side of the person who's you're in between of what you're trying to get to, that's the the whole gambling aspect of it. Which is an interesting thing. If if there is anything good about the Bitcoin network, it's that the people who own the value mm-hmm. control the network. Yeah. If you start adding uh, big investment front ends like Robinhood into yeah. the mix and they get to exercise their control now, not just over what you do in the stock market, mm-hmm. but also what you do in the cryptocurrency market, that's that's an interesting dichotomy. Which is why Coinbase and the other like not as flashy, like you said, user, not as user friendly things are the way to go with this stuff. If you really want the value of it. Yeah. And there's well, but but there really is more. Well, it's different kind of risk, right? Yeah. There's this um, the, the Bitcoin network is self-policing. If I let's say I've got some kind of uh, malware that's going to go and try to steal your Bitcoins. Um, if I infect like a major cryptocurrency exchange and I try to steal all the Bitcoins out of other people's wallets, which has happened, I think, just once before, um, the 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 network will say, we see that 
breaking of the rules of the blockchain and they eliminate all those coins from the blockchain network. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then the coins don't have value. Uh, the the one that I'm thinking of, it was a Japanese currency exchange to Bitco- to to cryptocurrencies. I want to say it was called like Mount Gozi, but I mean potentially millions of dollars of today's mm-hmm. value yeah. was was removed from um from Bitcoin. I'm realizing I di- I didn't close the loop on a thought with with Dogecoin, you've got a never-ending trickle of more currency being um, inserted into the marketplace. With Bitcoin, you've got a finite number. I think it's 22 million. You're never going to get over 22 million Bitcoins Mm -hmm. that are in the network, which means you're never going to have the natural inflation by more currency being introduced into the market. Interesting. So if you're buying cryptocurrency after you listen to this podcast, think about do I want to try to ride a spike and have to pay attention to what Dogecoin is doing? That's a short-term, my my thought is, that's a short-term investment. Or do I want to figure out how I can get aboard the um, this Bitcoin, uh, I don't even know what to call it, man. It's a, it is a titan Explosion. of wealth right now. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've also heard people say that the crash is coming. Sure. Like I keep hearing that a lot, both in the stock market and Bitcoin itself. Uh, the people I follow, which this isn't advice. I want to clarify this is not advice. This yeah. isn't, I'm not an investor. I'm not even that intelligent in this world. I don't understand it. I just have heard people say these things that stuck with me of like the Bitcoin bubble will break in September. Mm-hmm. But it's like a cycle that the Bitcoin bubble goes through. But it's like ride it, but be ready to pull out soon yeah i i like the way i like your approach where it's just like i'm gambling here yeah. i'm the 18 bucks or whatever that i made or i put into the yeah i think i i put in at first i put in 22 dollars and it made me 18 dollars and then uh i took that 18 dollars yesterday and put it in and it's made me 36 dollars. so i've doubled it um i could have made 49 dollars gone up to 40 yeah 49 but i didn't sell at that time so i'm waiting for it to spike again i'm going to sell again and then wait until it drops and then do the same thing and just keep gambling with it because i don't intend to do anything with it if if you suddenly if if the value suddenly dropped to zero is your life going to be different no i think that's the best way to approach cryptocurrency today it it, yeah literally just if if it changed, I don't lose anything. This is money. This is money I invested in stocks two or th- three years ago. Some like really small penny stocks. I put ten bucks in there just to try to start it, and then forgot about it. Mm-hmm. Then everything got big with Robinhood at the beginning of the year, and now I'm just playing around with that ten dollars I put in. That's now eighteen dollars. That it's going to turn into maybe thirty dollars. So. Yeah. Um. So those are some of like the obvious, like f- obvious. I don't know. Those are some of the financial risks that come along with like um, uh, investing in cryptocurrency. Yeah. But the more that we use cryptocurrency, the more it's going to introduce and reintroduce and magnify security risks as well. If I've got if I've got my whole financial portfolio in Bitcoin and I don't have any special protection on my computer, if I'm just logging in, then when when malware steers, steals my password, mhm 
they're not just taking my password. They're taking, it could be a million bucks I got in there yeah. or my life savings or, yeah. or whatever that, that exposure looks like. So there's a couple of different strategies about how you can, you can mitigate that risk. You write it down and just trade in stones. That's one. Okay. So listen, I see the smug grin that you have there. I see how much you're enjoying something so stupid as that suggestion. <laughs> but the first thing that you should think about is what we call having a paper wallet. You take the, if you want to make a long-term investment, if you want to just buy some now and then check back in in 20 years and see what the value has, has, has moved to, this is a great strategy. Make your investment and then take your, your string of user uh, of, take your string of letters and numbers and put it, put it into a note, notepad file, Yeah. print it out, get a safe deposit box and just put the paper in there. It's called having a paper Bitcoin wallet. Yeah. You're not going to be logging in. So you don't have to worry about somebody stealing your password. You don't have to worry about any of the information security threats. All you have to worry about is the safety of that paper. Well, I got it in a safe deposit box. That's insured up to a million dollars or whatever, uh, whatever price you're paying for. That's a pretty good strategy. Yeah, not bad. Or option two might be I'm going to take on a little bit extra of the financial risk of not being able to move my coins when I want to. And in return, I'm going to use something like Robinhood, which allows me to have, uh, you know, an account recovery process. Robinhood also lets you do multi-factor authentication. If you're listening to the podcast, I got to imagine you have multi-factor authentication set up wherever you can. Yeah, mom. Is Janice not, she's not getting a, she's not using an authenticator. She's not getting a, a code texted to her. I don't, I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I'll, I'll tweet at her. I'll tweet her a question from Citadel podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was just talking on, I think it was the Elevate Polk podcast. We were talking about the history of Citadel and point out that like Chipotle will text you a code when you buy a burrito. Yeah. To make sure that it's your burrito. If you're going to have multi-factor authentication to make sure you're the owner of the burrito, you you're going to need to set up multi-factor authentication for your financial portfolio. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. So just like all of the things that, that pertain to protecting a password, that's, you got to worry about that. There's some other interesting ones though. Like there is malware that um, it will install on your workstations and it will just do nothing. In the background, it will mine Bitcoins. It won't go into your wallet. It'll go into the bad guy's wallet. His MO is let me compromise as many workstations as I can. And in the background with the extra CPU processing power, yeah. let me have it work on some a, a very small, slow trickle. But if I compromise a thousand computers and they all do a slow trickle, I'm just making money for doing nothing. Yeah. Um, those are called coin miners. There's also, um, if you've got a business that is leveraging Amazon Web Services, Docker, Azure, these kind of cloud service providers. Um, it's pronounced Azure? Personally, I thought it was pronounced Azure. So I've never, that's interesting. Azure. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't know either. I was just, I, I, in my mind, I was like, oh, now I have a connection. They, I've, I've they seen could the have named it Blue. Azul. <laughs> right? Yeah. Microsoft Blue. Um, you got these web services. If you've got a, 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 a cloud service provider, 
you really need to worry about a coin miner getting installed there because you pay for the amount of clock cycles you consume, right? The amount of work that your uh, cloud storage container is performing, mm-hmm. that's how much you have to pay for it. So somebody installs a coin miner in the background, it's going to use the processing power of Amazon to drive your rate up to the point where you're paying, you, you could you could have a huge increase in, in what your monthly rate is going to be for and You don't get any of them Amazon. coins. You don't get any of it. I think worse would be they don't, they put a cap, they put a governor on the amount of corn Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're thinking of food now because we're both, I think, seemingly hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll have to wrap this up pretty quick. If they govern the amount of clock cycles they consume from your cloud service environment, then you might not ever know that there's a coin miner there if you're not looking at it, which means you're just going to have a fixed cost increase, and you're always going to be paying for more than you're using throughout perpetuity, right? Yeah. Okay, so those are some extra... So, look, here, we've never done this on our podcast before, but I think this is part one because I think this is the explanation and history of Bitcoin, and it's explained to a point where I now understand it. I mm. didn't say much this whole time because I I didn't have anything coming into blockchain, Bitcoin, yeah. coin mining. I had nothing. Normally with these things, I have a basic general understanding. Email security, yeah, I get it. Setting up networks, get it. Like, I I understand enough. This, literally, if you had asked me to say anything, I'd have been like, yeah, Bitcoin's money, the gold things with the B on them. A lot of people want them. Blockchain is the fence that you put them in to keep them safe so no one can find it. Crypto mining, you're paying for someone in Indonesia to dig for the golden <laughs> bee coins. And then you make cents off the dollar for it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Like, I, I know nothing. So I think this is a good part one. Do you want to talk about NFTs before we go? That's why I want a part two, because I think that is going to require a lot of time to explain NFTs. Okay. Now I know blockchain a lot more. Blockchain and Bitcoin, I understand it. I feel more comfortable with it, other than it's just this thing that I don't get. People do it. I'm going to do it too. So uh, that's, I guess that's part one. Yeah, and and this whole, I guess these this two-parter, all kicked off by W.A. Hammond on Twitter asking at Citadel Podcast his cybersecurity question. Yeah, and for those of you who are like, this has nothing to do with cybersecurity, the crazy thing is is that no matter what we talk about, the internet sphere is so connected to everything now that cybersecurity is so far-reaching that even us talking about banking Mm -hmm. 200,000 years ago... That's right it's still connected somehow to the ideas behind cybersecurity and the goal of Citadel is to keep you safe out there. So uh, if you have any questions, tweet us at Citadel podcast. You can reach out at citadel.com. Uh, we've got an event coming up April 20th. That is this Wednesday from when this podcast releases Tuesday, Tuesday, the 20th is a Tuesday? Tuesday. I think it's a Tuesday. The 20th is a, maybe the 20th is a Tuesday. Let me check. Yeah, it's a Tuesday. You're yeah. right. Correct. So I that's have... tomorrow if you're listening to this when it comes out. Yeah, so tomorrow there's an event you can come and uh, we'll be talking about. I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. So there was this huge Facebook breach in March. That's what it is. Um, 500 million. If you got a Facebook account, you were probably wrapped up in this breach. Yeah. Which means the bad guys have your information. 
But what's the outcome? How does that really affect you? Yep. Are they going to steal your money because of something that you put on Facebook? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk, uh, we'll let you know um, everything from how to find out if your information was contained in the breach, what that could mean for you, what the bad guys are going to try to do. And we're partnering with Meeks Real Estate um, because for a lot of people, the down payment that they put on a house, that's the biggest transaction they're ever going to make in their whole life. Yeah. So we're going to talk about how, uh, in light of all the fraud that's that's out there and that we're exposed to from things like the Facebook breach, how to make sure that we keep that down payment safe. And that'll be tomorrow at Lakeland Live, 202 North Massachusetts Avenue, Lakeland, Florida, 33801. If you're confused as where to go, head towards the rec room in downtown Lakeland and then go to the opposite side of rec room's entrance. And that is where you'll enter through the double doors that state Lakeland Live. Come on in. We'll teach you a lot. Once again, at Citadel Podcast on Twitter, citadel.com through email, or just send us a smoke signal or a pigeon. This episode is sponsored by Rec Room. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba. Uh...